You're listening to the Doctors for the Environment Australia DEA podcast, where we talk about the environment and health. We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and pay our respect to elders past, present and emerging. Our podcast is recorded all over Australia and so we take this opportunity to ask people to reflect on the country that they live on and the special places that they value. Hello, Karen. Hey, Kaya. Um, How are you doing? I'm very well. I actually am feeling kind of pumped up. I had a quick look about what we're going to talk about today, and I decided mm-hmm. I'd better read a little bit about Greta Thunberg. And do oh, know, yes. Do you know when you go down like a wormhole? Well, basically, my mm-hmm. entire research was just listening to her speech over dance music. <laughs> Oh my god, amazing. Is that a thing that exists? Have you discovered this yet? No. It's amazing. (laughs) I feel like we need to include it in the podcast. (laughs) All right, we'll put it at the end. How's that? We'll have it as the end segment. I think so, but that's about as far as my research went. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Greta's pretty incredible. Um, why Why do you think Greta made such a big impact um, um, in okay, the climate so movement I, in the world? I lied. I did think about it a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it is because when people hear young people speak, they think that they've got no vested interests. Like they're not influenced by... Um, money and really they don't have a alignment with the political system yet and they're really just speaking mm. um, from their heart really um, they have I guess moral integrity um, and people trust what mm. they say yeah yeah absolutely and I think it it also makes people um, think about their duty of care for the future generations more as well yeah and they realize that you notice that people sometimes can't think far into the future about themselves but they are able to about their own children or their grandchildren it's this really interesting phenomenon Mm. like you might have a hard time Mm. thinking about your own retirement and not safe very well but then if you have a child or a grandchild and you start thinking about climate change you can put that into perspective um, and people, yeah. I feel like they're much more willing to take action to protect their children's health. So I guess the thing about Greta Thunberg is that um, it's been widely discussed in the media that she is on the autism spectrum, and I think it affects the way that she speaks. It's quite interesting. She's very concrete, and she always relies on the science um, to argue her point, but then she has these powerful emotive speeches. And you know, if you know her backstory about actually being um, kind of shy and reserved, you understand just how brave she's Mm. had to be um, to be in the media and how much that is not something that she ever wanted to do, but because she's so driven by um, her passion, um, she's able to kind of self-sacrifice to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other interesting thing I noticed um, sort of within my own involvement 
in climate change activism through university. But then also when I was reading about young activists is that there's a really strong female presence in a lot lot of the activist circles. So then I was looking at um, like outside of climate activism, also like Malala Yousafzai. Um, She was the young woman from Pakistan that was a really big advocate for female education. and had like an assassination attempt on her and ended up moving to the UK and Canada. Um, but she was a, such an incredible, similar to Greta, really um, great at getting the whole world involved in what she was standing up about. Um, yeah. I've just started listening to um, the Women's Leadership book by Julia Gillard and I have not got very far at all yet. But um, I think one of the things they say really early on is that having – um, a female leadership presence in the lives of young women can have such a huge impact. So that um, example you were giving about education, where women see, mm. um, or where girls see women in leadership roles in their community, they're much more likely to go on and um, finish their early years schooling. And so I think it's really mm. amazing just seeing how much, I think when Greta started her movement, the re- one of the reasons I think it just exploded so quickly is because of social media and young people could see each other in leadership roles. And so then they could see Mm, um, that they could do it themselves. And that's how come like Greta really isn't the only person leading the movement. It's thousands of people across thousands of different schools who've got all of their friends and family on board. It kind of makes me think about, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in that other like she's a a little bit older than Greta but is a young woman that grew up in the Bronx and she she's with the Democrats in the US but it's just it's really impressive that she's like in her late 20s and she holds this political position there and she's someone that grew up with like a pretty low socioeconomic situation, worked like as a bartender, worked to help her mum get through everything and then has sort of seen what's going on around her and also come into this position where she's trying to change things for her own community. And it was interesting her backstory as well as that she felt like someone like her to be in the political system, you have to have, you have, to have wealth and you have to have status And you need all these things to be able to make change. And then she was, I think she was involved in Bernie Sanders' campaign when she was traveling around and started to realize that a lot of these communities, there were people that were just completely putting their lives on the line to like stop pipelines or to like stop whatever was happening in their community. And from that, she took inspiration and was, no, I actually can go on and, and change things in my community myself. I don't need wealth and status to hold that position, which I think is also really incredible and kind of reminds me of Greta a little bit and the very strong young female like role models really. I think it's well both of them are like a figurehead but really the reason they've been successful is because of that community mm. engagement. So I know her campaign was basically door knocking, talking mm. to everybody and Greta's campaign with millions of children striking around the world is only really successful because she brought people yeah. along with her. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, And I guess the reason we are sort of talking about really incredible young women leaders um, and also just the youth in the climate change movement is because today we have a very spectacular female guest on the podcast as well. 
It is Georgia Behrens who will be joining us um, and she is the National Student Representative for Doctors for the Environment Australia. Do you want to give a bit of an intro for Georgia, Karen? Uh, Georgia is a postgraduate medical student with a passion for global and planetary health, so she's amongst friends here. Um, Georgia's led various student groups at a university and national level um, and she's represented the International Federation of Medical Students Association at the United Nations Climate Change Negotiations, which is kind of a big deal. Um, Mm. Georgia has published work with the Lancet Countdown on Climate Change and Health and the Lancet Planetary Health and contributed to a textbook chapter on climate change in medical education. Awesome. Woo-woo! Welcome, Georgia! Thank you, everyone. It's really nice to be here. It's fantastic to meet you, Georgia. (laughs) Yeah, really nice to meet you, Karen. Um, I am speaking to you guys today from Wurundjeri country, so I'm in stage four lockdown down here in Melbourne, unfortunately, Mm. so um, lovely to connect with some people in the freer states of Australia (laughs) and see what the the other side of the border looks like. Yeah. How has it been down in Melbourne at the moment? Um, So it's really interesting for me at the moment in particular. I'm on an ICU rotation in Mm. one of the kind of big um, major tertiary hospitals down here in Melbourne. And so while I'm not in the COVID section of the ICU at the moment, I feel very in the thick of it. And um, Mm. if you could see my nose right now, you'd see the little like N95 mask blister and all that kind of stuff. So definitely spending the days sweating it out in PPE down here, which has been interesting Um, Mm. and in some ways really motivating and inspiring, but in other ways pretty full on. So yeah. Absolutely. Oh my God. Um, And you are as I've said a couple of times, the National Student Rep, the NSR for Doctors for the Environment Australia. Um, When you came into the role at sort of like the end of last year, started this year, what was your vision for the year before you knew that COVID was going to come and be what it has been? Totally. So, I mean, I suppose the role of um, the student wing of DEA is to motivate and maybe more importantly to empower DEA student members to kind of get active on climate change and health. Um, There is actually an incredibly large number of medical students across Australia who really care about climate change. And I suppose I see the role of DEA students as um, being a place to sort of give them a bit of an outlet for that passion and give them an opportunity to actually do something tangible and feel at home in the medical community as someone who also really cares about the environment because I think sometimes when you're in a big hospital and everyone's focus is on what's right in front of them, you can feel a little bit lost and isolated. So giving students a home amongst like-minded people is really, really important. Um, Our vision for this year really was about um, connecting people kind of on the ground at universities with the work of the organisation as a whole and with um, all the kind of other wonderful doctors and mentors and all that kind of stuff who are doing fantastic work around the country. Mm. Um, So we had all kinds of wonderful plans about Mm. what we were going to be doing on campuses and events that we were going to be running as have been run throughout the year. And we're Mm. also kind of working to build towards... um, probably some, you know, protests and things like that around what 
based off what was happening with school strikes last year. Mm. Um, but then, you know, that the obvious curveball came in. So it's been it's been an interesting year for us, um, mm. which, you know, maybe we can touch on a little bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How do you think that the pandemic has affected those plans? Like, yeah, um, I mean, in every way, really. Um, so I think that something that we found at we we were all finding at the beginning of last year and sort of throughout last year was um, the incredible, I guess, energy and motivation that people and students and young people in particular were getting from being in the same space as each other physically and actually mm. feeling the physical presence of having that many people around them who were supporting them and backing them and showing up um, for things like the school strike. And mm. so um, obviously COVID this year has necessarily changed that and kind of put a stop to all of those kinds of things. And in some ways it's really, I think, um, interrupted a lot of the momentum that was being built mm. last year by youth climate movements in particular. Yeah. Um, and I think it's been a real challenge for a lot of um, youth-led organisations to, to bounce back from that, as for all organisations, but young people in particular. Um, and I think that's something that's really interested me because I think a lot of, like, quote-unquote, older people um, seem to assume that, like, oh, young people are really online, they'll be fine about all this kind of stuff, it's fine, they'll yeah. just kind of keep going about doing things on social media and connecting via the internet and all that kind of stuff. But I think that actually a lot of young people were deriving motivation and connection in the sense of being really empowered by being able to do things actually on the streets previously and in lots of ways the fact mm. of not being able to do that and sort of doing the right thing by staying at home has in some ways um I guess taken the wind out of some young people's movement sails not to be all doom and gloom mm. about it or anything but yeah I think it's important to acknowledge that it has been a blow oh that's really absolutely. hard isn't it have they yeah have, absolutely are there any kind of like in a innovative ways that you've seen that people have been able to maintain that momentum? Definitely. And I think that, I mean, the wonderful thing about sort of like all youth-led movements is they are very kind of resilient and flexible and adaptive and keen to kind of find ways around all these sorts of challenges. So there are some mm. fantastic initiatives that have come up around kind of like online organising workshops and um, sort of skill building and skill sharing online. Um, and that's been fantastic. I mean, organisations like the Australian Youth Climate Coalition and Seed Mob, um, which is a sort of Aboriginal-led environmental um, youth movement, have done some incredible work in this space. Um, and... That's something that I think hopefully we'll all be able to learn from in future. Obviously, having things happening online and digitally means that they are accessible to people who might not have been able to physically attend um, protests or events or workshops mm. in person. And I think that sort of increasing accessibility is always going to be a good thing. The challenge moving forward will be how do you kind of combine the increased accessibility of doing things online with, I guess, the sense of empowerment and togetherness that you get from being physically in the same place. And so mm. I think that will be the challenge for 
2021, really. We've learned how to do online well now, and it's mm. how do you take those lessons and then also combine that with on-the-ground stuff. Absolutely. Um, and so you're talking about the school strike before um, and the sort of movement that was building with that. Mm. Why do you think it was becoming such a popular movement and it was attracting so much attention? I think it is because um, young people kind of had demonstrated to them for perhaps the first time in their lifetimes that if they actually stood up and talked about things that mattered to them, then people would listen and people would back them. Um, Mm. I think that, I think that feeling empowered and feeling like your voice matters is probably the most important thing for any young person to have for them to, I suppose, speak up and use their voice and talk about um, an issue. I know that certainly amongst my own circles and, you know, other people that I've come across, not acting often doesn't come from a place of not caring. It comes from a place of not feeling like you can actually do anything about the challenges that face Mm. you. And so I think that just the fact that these strikes did get so much attention and that they did seem to be shifting the agenda, that becomes a bit of a snowball effect and more and Mm. more young people become... um, I guess, emboldened to follow the example of people like Greta Thunberg and everything and actually try and, I guess, take some ownership over causes that they know are going to affect their their entire lives and their kids' lives and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. George, we want to ask you a little bit more about um, climate change, environmental health in the medical curriculum. Um, Mm. Do you think that we're at the point now where it's becoming something that's a staple or like a core requirement in the medical curriculum? Definitely. Um, I mean, I think there's growing recognition that this is going to be the kind of defining health issue or in many ways already is the defining health issue of the century that we live in and that kind of not reckoning with that fact and not kind of addressing that in the medical education that we're getting is Um, just going to sort of undermine everything else that you try to do well um, in your medical curriculum. Um, If your doctors aren't prepared to go out there and work as doctors um, in knowledge of the way that climate change is going to affect all aspects of human health, then you're not producing prepared medical graduates effectively. Um, Mm. And I think that there is growing recognition from this from medical schools themselves, from some of the also from some of the leadership organisations that kind of um, determine how the Australian medical curriculum works, um, and I think that that has actually come from the fact that medical students themselves have been demanding this and speaking up about this for a really really long time. That's great, um, really and good. thanks to kind of their advocacy and some work from a few really kind of effective leaders within medical kind of schools, this has become something that there's pretty widespread recognition of the need for now. That's excellent. Do you think Mm. we'll ever get to the point where, because, I mean, medical schools, they need to get accredited. Do you ever think we'll get to the point where they have to have it in their curriculum to be accredited? There is, my understanding is that there is movement in that direction. Um, And fortunately, you know, we know that there's huge variability in the way that different medical schools roll out their 
their curricula. Um, and there could be a lot of variation in the way that medical schools teach this and they can make it work with the way that they teach their students. But I can sort of see that this could be the sort of thing where having we're making sure that your students are able to demonstrate a broader awareness of how the climate and the environment impacts on human health. That could be something that schools have to be able to demonstrate that they're kind of giving their graduates and um, in order to kind of be registered. So, yeah. so you think that like the key thing that they really need to know is that the environment does affect health, um, especially climate change. Is there a particular reason why you think that it's really important for doctors or future doctors to know that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose there are a few things. Um, there's a lot of skills and knowledge that um, you would ideally want a medical graduate who's going to be kind of working in the 21st century to understand about climate change and health. Um, I suppose the first thing is thinking about the way that climate can affect particular medical presentation. So you're able to diagnose things effectively. Um, so understanding how hot weather is going to affect um, presentations to emergency departments um, and a whole variety of other presentations. Thinking as well about how, um, I suppose, our healthcare systems are going to function effectively in the era of climate change and being prepared to kind of work within those systems is, is really, really important. Um, but I think also um, sort of equipping and um, supporting medical students to think about their responsibilities as, um, I guess, advocates for patients' health and think about their responsibilities for trying to contribute towards making the healthcare system and our society overall a little bit more sustainable is something that would be really, um, is going to be really critical in the years to come. Um, so not just kind of limiting doctors' roles to uh, diagnosis and management, but also really emphasising that a core part of our kind of obligation to our patients is to um, try and ensure that our healthcare systems and our societies are healthy and sustainable as well. That's a fantastic well summary. Yeah, really good. Uh, this might be a bit low or a bit personal, but what's your experience in your medical education about how it's being taught? So um, I suppose my personal experience and also that of a lot of the students that I have talked to about this issue over the years is that um, often climate change, along with a lot of other kind of public and big, you know, systemic health issues, can be taught in quite a ticker box way. So there'll be like half a lecture or a lecture or something delegated to it somewhere in an otherwise very crammed curriculum so that mm. um, they can say, look, we've addressed this, but it happens in quite a a cursory way and that would be the same way as a lot of medical curricula tend to deal with things like poverty and health there'll be a little lecture dedicated to it and then that can kind of be ticked off and that's really understandable because obviously medical schools have to be able to um, deal with a huge amount of content I think ideally though the way that you would be addressing things like climate change as well as other things like poverty is that um this would be kind of integrated in a sort of, yeah, really, really integrated in all the teaching that we're getting. So rather than having a lecture about climate change and the way that it affects the cardiovascular system, the respiratory system um, and infectious diseases, mm. it might be something where as we have a growing recognition of the many, many ways that climate change and the environment affects human physiology and all that kind of stuff, 
there would be a mention in a lecture about, you know, cardiovascular physiology, as well as stuff about respiratory presentations and infectious diseases, a couple of minutes just noting this is something that would affect um, all of these issues. And I think that Mm. really integrating effectively throughout the curriculum rather than just having a kind of little ticker box lecture at some point um, in the middle of the week that unfortunately often a lot of people don't show up to because it's not um, really highlighted um, is going to be a more effective way of showing that this is an issue that's going to kind of permeate everything. That's a great suggestion. I mean, I think that all the research that we have about um, what makes effective teaching and how you kind of engage medical students in any kind of curriculum. We recognise by now that getting people to sort of problem solve and work collaboratively around um, diagnosing and managing issues is a much more effective way than just kind of delivering content at them all the time. So, for example, um, there are some, there's one university that I know actually does this quite well in um, their sort of problem-based learning format where the people are given a case um, where there's a presentation of, I think, an elderly woman with heat stroke, and they're asked to kind of consider in the course of managing, you know, managing her presentation, thinking about her physiology and um, sort of talking about various other dimensions of her presentation, how could, you know, the climate have contributed to this and what advice might we need to give to elderly people in general in the years to come given that, you know, heat is going to be a mounting problem. And I think that's kind of, that's quite a good example of effective teaching of um, climate change to health professionals. It's not saying, okay, here's climate change, we can just sort of shove it off into a box as something we don't have to think about. It's saying this is going to be the sort of presentation that you're going to get on a really regular basis as a junior medical doctor sort of working in an emergency department in the next 20 years. This is going to be something that contributes to a lot of presentations and you're going to need to have a bit of a framework for talking to this whole cohort of patients about the fact that things are getting hotter, you're vulnerable, and therefore you're going to need to do some things to minimise your risk of Mm. becoming unwell. Um, And I think that's quite a good example of the sort of teaching that we could be doing um, in the future rather than just, yeah, (laughs) delivering content and saying climate change affects health. I think you've touched on a really important thing there as well with giving good advice to patients because it's something that I think the medical, sometimes we probably don't do great. It's not a huge focus in the medical curriculum, Mm. but when it comes to climate change, it's actually super important that you're educating your patients. Like bushfires would be another example, like... When you're at home, keeping your windows shut, making sure that your like aircon is on reverse cycle and you're not pumping in the smoke into your house, don't exercise outside. Like, it's all such Absolutely. important stuff. To so be many teaching. things. Yeah. Mm. So many. You could do it across everything. Yeah, like hay fever, COPD. Yeah. And I think something that I would also add to that is that I think it's really important for medical schools to be recognizing that often their students are way ahead of them on this sort of stuff. Mm. Um, I think that there would be a lot of medical schools that would find that if you delivered medical students a lecture saying these are the many ways that climate change affects health, climate change is real, climate change is bad, you need to be aware of this, you're going to get a lot of students sitting there being like, yeah, we know, Um, Mm. why are you telling us this? And so I think really working collaboratively with students to sort of 
figure out what do students know already and what is how can we use their pre-existing kind of knowledge and skill set to work with them on being able to be kind of proactive managers of the issues that arise from climate change mm. is much more effective than just kind of delivering content at them. So really engaging students and letting them kind of be be leaders in this space because I think they've demonstrated their willingness and ability to do that quite consistently over the last decade. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're also very, you have been and are involved with the Australian Medical Student Association, or AMSA, as we fondly call it. What has AMSA been doing in this kind of space and in like the climate change space? Yeah, so AMSA and I suppose medical students in general have been real leaders on, I think, climate change and health in Australia for a long time now. Um, it seems to have been a space that AMS has been active in um, for a long while, even before I began medical school four years ago. Um, and that, I think, is something that um, AMSA is and should be hugely proud of. Um, I think that Australian medical students have played a really key role in increasing the awareness of Australia's medical community in general um, on the importance of sort of issues like climate change. Um, and that's sort of, I think, really the role of any student organisation is to be saying to, you know, our seniors, this is the, the sort of the future um, that we want to be working in and can you, what can you kind of do to help us realise that future from here? Um, mm. I know... IFMSA, which is the International Federation of Medical Students Associations, which I've done some work with previously, they have this thing where they say, you know, we're too young to know what's impossible, so we do it anyway. Mm. Um, and that's certainly something that I think medical students in Australia have done and really pushed um, our more senior peers to be more, um, I guess, assertive and ambitious on what we want to achieve on climate change. Some of the kind of tangible things that AMS has done over the past few years, um, the work on medical curriculum is is one thing. Um, another thing that has been really exciting this year has been sort of joining in a number of the medical colleges in making a climate emergency declaration and doing some really fantastic advocacy around that. Mm. Um, AMS has also been very active in the space of divestment um, from fossil fuels. So AMS has now divested all its own finances from um, banks that have any sort of connection with fossil fuel production um, and is sort of working to, I guess, um, equip and empower both medical students and medical societies to make similar decisions and to advocate to financial institutions and say, look, doctors don't want to be associated with um, financial institutions that are involved with fossil fuels in the same way as we don't want to be involved with financial institutions that are associated with tobacco and stuff mm. like that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think medical students across Australia are doing a lot in this space and will continue to do a lot in this space. And it's been really fantastic over the last, um, you know, over the last couple of years to see a lot of the more mainstream um, medical bodies follow AMSA and, of course, DEA, which has been active in this space for a really long time, kind of down that path. So mm. it's really encouraging. That's fantastic. 
Um, so uh, when I first became involved with AMSA a couple of years ago, one of the big projects that we were working on was a, a climate health short course. Um, and so this was something that we um, and some of my sort of team members at the time were leading um, because there was a real deficit in what um, was being taught in medical schools around climate change and health and what medical students could do on climate change and health. So um, these two wonderful medical students um, sat together and basically designed a curriculum and a full online climate health short course that was rolled out mm. to hundreds of students across Australia um, and which has since been used as um, a real example around the world and by medical educators here in universities in Australia. This is the sort of thing that we should be teaching to our medical students like at medical schools. And I think that's a real example of um, young people and medical students, I guess, taking initiative to fill gaps and show leadership where kind of maybe institutions haven't quite caught up with what they feel they need and where they're really kind of driving the conversation and um, I guess really leading the agenda on these kinds of issues. So that's something that's happened then. And since then sort of there has been a bit of a, a twin strategy of both advocating for better climate change inclusion in medical curriculum, but also filling the gaps and, you know, doing presentations and courses and making resources Mm. Um, where those don't exist already. Wow, that, that's awesome. great. Um, George, I was just wondering, uh, what can medical students do in the meantime if they want to see more climate and health curriculum um, at their medical school? Yeah, so I think that um, it's actually incredibly easy, although intimidating, for medical students to approach faculties and say, as a future doctor, this is something that I feel I need to be equipped to deal with. Um, I would like to see this. What can we do to get it involved? Um, mm. This is something that has happened at multiple medical schools. And I can confirm that if you are polite and professional and have done your research, then most medical schools are really, really keen to get you involved um, mm. and to sort of let yeah, to, to get students participating in um, developing content that they think is going to be relevant to them as 21st century kind of medical professionals. Um, often it seems to be the case that the kind of barrier to getting climate change into particular medical schools is um, people not having, like, I guess, the time or the energy or the bandwidth to actually kind of find someone to do the lecture or to do the lecture themselves and all that kind of stuff. So if you are willing to go to your med school and do a bit of legwork and um, make some suggestions for how it can be done and maybe kind of send some emails to people and get that organised, then that has proven results at multiple unis. And mm. um, I think because of this growing recognition that this is something that med schools need to be doing well at um they're looking for help and they're looking for enthusiasm and often student leaders can be um a really great source and uh yeah a really great resource to universities so i think if you can make yourself a resource and an asset then yeah you will find that the doors are often open what about the so for example the course you're talking about with AMSA? do those kind of things still run and how can people find them 
Yeah, so AMSA's, um, AMSA Code Green, the Climate Health Short Course, still runs. That is available. That would be available through um, their Facebook page would probably be the best place to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think other short courses and other kind of resources are becoming more and more available. There's mm. more and more research in this space um, and yeah, it's, it's a really kind of, I guess, booming field now, planetary mm. health and all that kind of stuff. Um, but for just a kind of beginner entry level thing, the, the AMSA short course is a really fantastic place to start. Mm. Awesome. Um, and then I guess not, the next question would be, um, so we've kind of addressed what medical students could do, but what do you think that current healthcare workers and members of the, um, like within hospitals and also in communities can do mm. um, to support medical students and provide further education where the curriculum might be lacking? Yeah, Um Again, like this is, it's a really interesting question because in often, yes, as a healthcare professional, you will have something to offer and something to teach to medical students. But I think also often students will have something to teach you and something to share with you. Mm. Um, and I think I'd really encourage, um, I guess, healthcare professionals and doctors, no matter how senior, to be really open to kind of having conversations with young people. Um, I think in many ways, the best thing that you can do to support young people is to, yeah, really, I really just aim to empower them rather than to teach them a lot of the time. Um, mm. if there's, if there's spaces that you can invite them into, um, opportunities that you can give them to kind of contribute to discussions and get involved in decision making or projects that you might be working on or something like that. I think in many ways, that's the most the most vulnerable, the sort of most useful thing that I guess more senior members of the profession can do. It's about, um, yeah, making space and Mm. uh, empowering young leaders um, probably more so than it is necessarily about teaching and instruction and and Mm. mentoring in that very typical kind of like vertical sense. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that, especially as a junior doctor. Um, it's really, it's very empowering and supporting when you have a, a colleague who's senior or someone that you work under that wants to help you have a platform mm. to talk about things. So if they're empowering you to talk at grand rounds and like they'll support you if you want to talk about like bushfires or something there or um, like anesthetic departments that have like environmental planetary health sessions um, and they talk about like the gases that they use and whether they should change their practice. Um, I think those are some good examples where I've seen a lot of space being created for like even for medical students and junior doctors to talk about things totally. that they're really and passionate I th- about. Mm. I think that um, sort of a lot of the, the best initiatives that I've been involved with have been ones where um, you know, medical students have kind of been surprised with this opportunity that they didn't think was going to come to them. Mm. Um, I know as medical students, we're very used to being like the bottom of the pack and feeling like you're very useless and a bit of a pot plant and kind of don't really have any role to play. So Mm. often when medical students are given opportunities to get involved and sort of um, are asked to step up, 
they will do so with just so much excitement and energy and enthusiasm. And all it takes is someone just kind of um, saying, look, I'd I'd like to help give you a go. Um, Mm. And yeah. Ah, amazing. This has been delightful. That's been fantastic. (laughs) Is there anything you'd like to plug, Georgia? Um, So, yes, I would love to um, plug DEA students as a really fantastic opportunity for any medical student who has an inkling of being keen on looking after the environment to get involved with. Um, It's a really fantastic organisation that connects you with like-minded students but also like-minded doctors um, and gives you a really fantastic opportunity to have an outlet for your passion, develop some really wonderful professional skills and also feel connected to a cause bigger than yourself, um, which I have always personally found is really supportive of my mental health. Um, We are looking for committee members to fill our 2021 National Student Committee. Um, We have about eight roles on that committee um, and they are open to people of all levels of experience from um, very beginner newbies who don't feel like they know how to do anything through to experienced leaders. It is a really wonderful place to start your journey in looking after the environment and I couldn't recommend it more highly. It's been a fantastic experience for me and would be great for any kind of young environmental keen being to get involved with. Hell yeah. You can find more about DEA students and how to apply for our committee next year via our Facebook page, which is Doctors for the Environment's Australia Students. We also have a meme competition running there at the moment, so there will be some lulls for your time. (laughs) Um, The application form is available via the Facebook page, no experience required, just a Google form. Wonderful. Ah, so good. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Sorry if I rambled at you. (laughs) Your rambling was excellent and eloquent. It's so wonderful to hear what DEA students are doing because it's there's always so much drive and passion there. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for another one of the Doctors for the Environment Australia podcast. As always, you can find out plenty more information on our website, www.dea.org.au, and check us out on socials. We're on Facebook, Doctors for the Environment Australia, and also Doctors for the Environment Australia students, Instagram, Twitter. And until next time, here's Greta Thunberg. Take it away. My message is that we'll be watching you. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams, my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you come here saying that you are doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in sight. Right here, right now is where we draw the line. Right here, right now.